Executive coaches may be what people hear about most because I think a larger proportion of coaches, probably over 50%, maybe even approaching 70% are still executive coaches. But one of the trends in coaching is an enormous proliferation of specialization. That was Allison Joslin speaking about one of the trends in the world of personal coaching, including executive coaching. Executive and career coaching is the focus of this episode, episode number 61 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. In this episode, we're going to speak about trends in a multi-billion dollar industry, which is growing roughly 6 to 7% annually and is intended to help people improve their success in the working world. I'm speaking about career coaching and, more specifically, within that domain, executive coaching. In part one of this two-part Looking Forward series, we'll discuss several topics, including what executive coaches do and who they serve, how the field of career and executive coaching has evolved over the past few decades, and what impact COVID-19 has had on the industry. To help us do this, we've brought on a fantastic guest expert. She's Alison Joslin. Alison Joslin is an International Coaching Federation Certified Executive Coach. She's also a speaker and a workshop leader. For over 25 years, she worked as a senior executive in the biopharma industry. Her roles range from leading large international commercial regions and country operations to heading strategic functions and franchises globally. Allison leverages her business and leadership experience in combination with her coaching skills to support senior executives and high potential individuals as they seek to maximize their impact and grow in responsibility while facing the complexity and uncertainties of today's environment. She works one-to-one with coaching clients across a variety of industries. Allison is a graduate of Yale University, received her MBA from Dartmouth, and her coaching certification from the University of Miami of Florida. In her spare time, she is a competitive endurance athlete and a keen wildlife photographer. Hi, Allison. Welcome to Looking Forward. Hey, Jeff. Great to be here. I'm really excited about sharing something about coaching with your listeners today. Well, I know they're going to be excited to hear this, Allison, and It's a great topic and one we haven't yet covered on Looking Forward, and you're a great expert to have on to speak about this. You've held some very senior level positions in your career, and I'm wondering, what was it that made you decide to leave the corporate world, where you were very successful, high level, to become an executive coach? Well, I think that's a great question, and and there are a couple of things that contributed to that. Um, as you said, I think I was very blessed to have a nice career in, in the pharma, in the biotech industry. And one of the roles that was particularly interesting by way of explaining this was when I was given the opportunity to become the very first female general manager 
for Merck in Venezuela. So imagine American female going to Venezuela, not speaking Spanish, taking over a role that is a you know predominantly male role in a country you know that's new to me with a different culture. The company, in their wisdom, thought to provide me with an executive coach. And that person who I thought was going to help me to navigate through the, the cultural gap became so much more to me than that. It was the best developmental experience I've ever had. And she really helped me to gain in terms of leadership skills, confidence in my ability to, to build a team. That planted the seed because that was just such an incredible experience for me. As I progressed through my career and I started to look at it and see what were the things that I enjoyed the most and where did I really get a lot of satisfaction, it was typically around developing people and developing teams. I just love doing that. And that's where I think most of my success came was, you know, in, in terms of hiring good people, recognizing their potential, developing that talent, and then, you know, letting them go. So as I got to a later stage in my career, I found myself thinking I was really interested in a new type of challenge, something that would keep me growing and learning and developing. And I was in a position where I could afford to take a risk and do something quite different. And so when I was in a company where they went through, you know, another one of these many corporate changes, organizational changes, and I was offered a role that wasn't all that exciting to me or an opportunity to take a package, I said, you know what, this is the moment I'm going to take the risk. Sure. I'm stepping out of corporate and getting into coaching where I can really help other people to grow and to develop and to, you know, realize more of the, the potential that they have. Well, this makes perfect sense to me. You had this opportunity to do that. And boy, that first opportunity that you had going over to Venezuela. Does that not sound challenging and oh, formidable? Yeah. <laughs> but you did it and the coach helped you through. Allison, for the benefit of our audience, at least some of whom may be unfamiliar with what executive coaches do and who they serve, I'd like you to explain that a little more. And maybe if you could also speak a little bit about coaches in general who work with employees, because I know not everybody is an executive and some people may never become executives. Sure. I'll start with the executive coaching piece. So executive coaches are basically working with, as you said, executives, typically in corporations or in, in their own companies, as a partner to help them to be more successful in the business setting. And I think one way to help to understand what coaching is and what it is not is to talk about how coaching differs from, for instance, consulting, where there's often some confusion, as well as therapy, because coaching shares some things with each of these two fields, but it's also distinct. So when you hire a consultant, you're hiring an expert in a field to come in and provide you with a solution. How does that differ from coaching? Well, you're you know, still hiring someone, typically a company is paying, but a coach is going to help you as an executive to find your own solution. They're not there to provide you with a solution, but more to help you explore 
how you think about things, what beliefs might be getting in your way, where you have blind spots, where you might want to shift your perspective. So they're really helping you to find your own solution as opposed to coming in with a solution for you. It starts to look and sound in some ways like therapy in terms of it, it's conducted typically as a conversation. The coach will be asking a lot of questions, maybe playing back some observations, very conversational process. So how does that differ from therapy? Therapy is typically something where you know, you're looking at unresolved issues from the past. You're doing a diagnostic and you're helping an individual to work through and resolve those unresolved issues. Coaching is future oriented, which is why I think it fits so well with the theme of your, your podcast in general. It's really about helping people to move from where they are today, taking actions and moving forward and, you know, moving more fully into their, their greatness. One of the fundamental assumptions we have around coaching is the clients we work with are complete, whole, healthy, intelligent, capable human beings. And with someone who can help to I mean, disrupt some of their thinking patterns and, and ways they look at things, they start to realize more options and see those options and be able to take some different actions, change habits, change behaviors. Would the kind of coaching that somebody would get who is not an executive and the approach used, Allison, by somebody like you, would it be different for them because they're not an executive or the process might be the same, but where they are in their career is a little different and therefore where they're looking to get to would be a little different? Yeah. What you have just described is exactly right. The process is going to be pretty much the same. That's the beauty of the coaching process is it lends itself so well to so many different things. Um, you know, executive coaches may be what people hear about most because I think a, a larger proportion of coaches, probably over 50%, maybe even approaching 70% are still executive coaches. But one of the trends in coaching is an enormous proliferation of specialization. And you have a lot of life coaches. And these coaches are focusing on all kinds of different areas. Just again, you know, wellness, um, helping people through cancer, diet. There's just, you know, an enormous range of coaching. Coming back to the professional world, you know, there are career coaches. There are transition coaches. So if you're someone who is finishing a career and thinking about, well, what's the next chapter of my life going to look like? And what do I want to do with myself? There are coaches who are specialized in that. So it's really a matter of thinking about what you want to get out of coaching. And then there are likely coaches, whether you're an executive or not, who are out there and, and may have some expertise that would be in, in terms of understanding your type of challenge, able to help. Okay, that's very helpful. Allison, a couple of quick follow-up questions. Do you personally only take on executives? I focus on executives and I would say high potential individuals. And that gives kind of a lot of space. But you know, one thing that I think companies have recognized, or maybe a couple of things, is one, it really pays to invest in 
employees who have the, the potential to impact the business in an important way, either today or in, in the future. And so companies will be selective because coaching is definitely an investment and you want to get a good return on that investment. So they will typically look at these sorts of employees. High potential gives a lot of space, but that that is the, the group that I tend to work with. Yes. Okay. And just to follow up with that, years ago, Allison, when I was in my first career, I did go to somebody who I might categorize as a career coach. Yep. And I paid for that. So yep. my question would be, when people go for executive coaching services, or if it's different for non-executive coaching, but work-related coaching services, yep. Does the company pay for it if they are employed or do they pay for it out of their own pocket? I would say, you know, there's a combination of both. As the, the individual who's interested in coaching is thinking about it, I would encourage them to talk to their manager, talk to HR, look at the company resources and see if they can get financial support for that because that is a very commonly used resource to, to support development in corporations. But that said, there are individuals who also say, you know, regardless of whether my company supports this or not, it's something I really want and need, and I'm willing to pay for that out of pocket. And I think in, in most cases, the coaches that I'm familiar with, if an individual is paying out of pocket, coaches will take that into account as they think about how they set their rates. Allison, as we get back to executive coaching, yep. it's been around in some fashion for, for quite a while. It's not brand new. So I'm wondering if you could give our listeners some sort of an overview of how it's evolved over the past couple of decades or so. And I'm speaking about pre-COVID. We'll get into COVID, but pre-COVID. Sure. How has it evolved from your perspective? Yeah. yeah. So coaching as a distinct profession is still a relatively young profession. I would say it kind of came into being somewhere late 80s, early 90s. And, and when that was happening, the majority of the individuals for whom companies were requesting coaches were individuals where there were toxic behaviors or employees who were deemed problematic and were more or less on their way out the door. And this was like a last ditch effort to see if that problem could be, you know, quote unquote, solved. <laughs> and that has really shifted in, in the years since then. Now, if you look at the types of reasons that, that companies are employing coaches, hiring coaches for their, their employees. Um, and the ICF, which is the International Coaching Federation, has done research on this, has have other, other um, organizations. The vast majority of the reasons that employees are getting coaches are to help them develop their leadership skills and to really become stronger leaders. What I'm trying to say here, and maybe not so clearly, is that they are hiring coaches 
for high potential individuals, for high impact leaders. And these are people where they want to grow development skills. These are not seen as problematic individuals or individuals about to be fired. And you know, it stands to reason because again, as we mentioned earlier, companies have finite resources. Where do you want to put your money in terms of getting a good return on that investment? It's not about you know, trying to save somebody who's an issue and already probably on the way out the door, but rather if you've got a talented individual and you know they're going to be able to help your business and impact that business in an important way, you put your money there. That's where you place that bet and you really help that person to become even more impactful, even more successful. That's really a big shift in yeah. the way that executive coaching is being used. and. Yeah. What you said at the end there, Allison, kind of reminded me a little bit of the oft-used 80-20 principle. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you yeah. see the potential in 20% of your employees and you'll put 80% of your resources into them. Yeah. I would also add, as just a corollary to that, another big shift has been, you know, how coaching is seen. And I will maybe add a special qualification here that I think this is more so in the U.S. and perhaps less so in other parts of the world. Pretty consistent U.S., Europe, Australia, I think, less so in Latin America. And that is that coaching was seen as something that carried a stigma almost. If you were being given a coach, it was because you were a problem. And, and so employees tended to be resistant. It was you know, a sign that you were on your way out. That's still the case in, in parts of the world. I think Latin America is an area that I know better, and, and that is very much a, a still a prevalent kind of viewpoint there. Whereas in the US, coaching has become much more of the norm. People seek it out. They're excited to have that opportunity. So it's seen in a much more positive way. You brought up something there, Allison, that segues perfectly into something I want to ask you about. We have roughly 25 to 30% of our listeners now, it's actually gotten higher, who live yeah. outside of the US. That could be in yeah. Canada, Europe, Africa, wherever. Yeah. What have you seen, and you started to talk about that, in the way of differences in how often executive coaching services are used, how they're being used, who's asking for them, in other countries versus the US? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll tell you what I know. And I think, you know, there's probably a lot more questions <laughs> than there are answers. Yes. But there's maybe some 70,000 coaches, executive coaches, according to the most recent data globally. Roughly a third of those are in the US, another third or so are in Europe. So then you can imagine spread out across the rest of the world, a lot fewer coaches. Now things have shifted and I know we weren't getting into sort of the COVID shifts yet. With the world becoming much more virtual, that's less of a factor than it used to be in terms of having access to coaches. But you can imagine South America, all of South America, there were an estimated 11,000 coaches in Africa. 2,800. In Asia, 4,600. So, you know, not a lot of executive coaches to go around. 
if you're looking for individuals to work with in person, also with language capabilities. And I think that is a reflection of the fact that coaching is not as prevalent in those areas, and you don't tend to have as many coach training programs. Those have really proliferated in the U.S., in Europe, but in, in other parts of the world, less so. And that may as well reflect this notion that coaching is more for people who have problems as opposed to a way of helping successful individuals become even more successful. Okay. What I would like to do is to jump to COVID-19. It's clearly had a significant impact on most of our lives. And I'm wondering from your vantage point as an executive coach, what changes you've seen in executive coaching since COVID came upon the world and how it's affected your business, how it's affected those who are seeking executive coaches and the companies that might want to pay for people to get executive coaching? Sure. You know, I think the the biggest shift that has impacted all of us is, you know, the shift into a primarily virtual world and coaching one-on-one coaching, I should say, is something that works exceptionally well through a video conferencing platform. It's convenient. It's easy. You can see people, you can hear, you can react, and it's, it's very convenient. It also means you have access, as we just talked about, to coaches who are not in the same geographic location, which is great because one of the keys to coaching is finding that right fit, that good chemistry. And so in some ways, you know, coaching fits well. I would say another sort of plus, if you will, although I hesitate to call it that for coaching in the COVID world is that a lot more folks are experiencing burnout these days, working at home, being in the same environment all the time, stress of having family there, having to you know manage kids at home, having these environments, working perhaps longer hours. I, I have a lot of clients who are coming to me and saying, I'm really tired. You know, I, I just feel burnt out. So I think the need for coaches is probably greater than ever. The flip side is, you know, a lot of companies have, of course, been impacted by this in terms of, you know, their financial results. And what tends to go when you have lesser results? The first thing that tends to go is employee development. And so, you know, companies are cutting back on employee development types of programs. And so, are the budgets there? Are they seeking coaching? So there's, you know, kind of pushes and pulls around how it impacted the coaching environment. The other thing is, you know, we're talking mostly up until now about one-on-one coaching. There is also a whole branch of coaching, which is around coaching and developing teams. That type of work tends to be much better suited to working face-to-face, in groups, going off-site. And clearly that has been really impacted. You can do some work with groups by video, but it's not the same. Those sorts of opportunities have been impacted, at least in the short term. 
Okay, that's very helpful. I want to ask you a question that relates to what you just said there, which is, I have had more than one guest, more than one expert on looking forward, who has spoken about the obvious trend in the growth of the number of freelancers, not only in the United States, but all around the world. And part of that, of course, has been triggered by, accelerated by COVID. Does that have any impact on executive coaching in your business? In other words, are you seeing now, as you spoke about companies maybe not paying as much for this, there are more people working as freelancers, working independently, who might be looking for executive coaching or maybe other career coaching services. Are you seeing any of that? Right. I haven't seen that personally, but it stands to reason that, you know, there probably are a lot more folks going into business for themselves, setting up as freelancers who would benefit from coaching. And that is an interesting opportunity for coaches who are specializing perhaps in that area. So I think that there may be opportunities there. The question I think that comes to my mind is, are people who are just starting out in a freelance capacity going to have the financial wherewithal to be able to hire coaches? So there's that kind of push and pull. The other thing that strikes me as you say that is, again, it makes an awful lot of sense that in the context of COVID, where a lot of people have lost jobs and a lot of people have had time to sit back and reflect and say, you know, what's really important to me? How do I want to spend my very precious life as I see lives being lost and wanting to think about what, what's going to be meaningful and really make me happy? And people make some pretty big decisions. I'm reading about know, the, the big resignation wave that's happening across the globe right now that may be leading to, to more people starting businesses on their own. Allison, I would now like to ask you, with everything that you've said, and we're now up to the present day. We've been discussing COVID. So I'm wondering how popular would you say executive coaching is these days around the world? And how would you think that that compares with how popular it was in the past? And when I say in the past, you talked about the 80s as the origins of it. Has it been growing? What are you seeing? Yeah, executive coaching as a field has definitely been growing. And I think it's seen as one of the sort of higher growth areas that in in terms of coaching, in terms of business, the coaching industry in general is estimated. I believe the most recent figure was around a $12 billion industry. That gives you a sense of this is not just some little, you know, sort of field. And it's growing at around six to 7% annually, which is, you know, decent growth, especially in, in light of the current day circumstances. As it becomes better known, as it becomes more credible, as it becomes more the norm, I think you will see more and more companies using coaching as a tool. Currently, you know, again, looking at some of the the data, roughly a third of the Fortune 500 companies are using coaching as a standard tool for their executives, for their high potential individuals. So it is something that's being used very regularly by by companies. I had no idea of how big this industry is. Now, before we 
get into the essence of looking forward, which is to look at what's going to happen looking forward and also opportunities thereof. It might be helpful if you could give our listeners, I'll call it a case study, somebody mm-hmm. that you might have worked with, or maybe yeah. you didn't work with, maybe somebody that you know or for somebody, and how it, the process worked and what it resulted in for that individual who got the coaching. Sure. No, I'd be happy to share an example. And of course, I'll, I'll keep it anonymous because that's one of the keys in terms of coaching. This was a woman who was seen as having high potential in her organization. And her boss had come to me and asked if I would be able to, to coach her. Her boss had indicated that she saw her having the, the capacity and capabilities to grow into a VP level role and that she was not there yet. And there were some things that she was going to have to change. The individual, when I started to work with her, had a slightly different view. She felt she was already working at the VP level, that she was highly frustrated because she wasn't getting compensated or recognized in the same way as her peers, and she felt she had some difficulty in the the relationship with her boss. How does the process work? We started off talking about what she wanted to get out of coaching, because again, this is a client-driven process, and I would ask her a lot of questions and probe and really understand where she wanted to go. And she knew she wanted to get to the VP level in her organization. She wanted that compensation, but she wasn't sure how to get there. And so then we started exploring, well, what were the things that were getting in her way? And what had she tried? And what had she observed? And we would meet regularly. In this case, I met with her pretty much every week. We'd be on the phone for an hour. She would bring examples of what she was working on, what she maybe was struggling with. And we would explore that and we would talk about what was going on. And we might come up with some ideas for her to try some different approaches or recognize some of the patterns that were impacting how she was making choices and what she was deciding to do. And we worked together in this case, it was close to a year. And and I'm just delighted to share that, you know, she had her performance review earlier this year, and we helped her to prepare for that so she could go into it in a really professional way, um, be able to manage herself in accordance with what she wanted to achieve, but also how to work effectively with her leader. And she came back and let me know her boss has indicated to her that she is now ready to move into a VP role. She's going to be getting a significant raise that her boss feels that their relationship has really improved, that she is a key person in this organization. Basically, you know, she has achieved all the things that she came in looking to achieve. And for me, it was just such a wonderful moment. I still get a little choked up. (laughs) That's got to feel great when you do something like that which is one of the rewarding aspects, I'm sure, of coaching somebody, whether it's as an executive in a career or even life coach, it's got to be exhilarating. If you could just clarify a couple of things there for our listeners. One would be, you mentioned with this particular individual, and I don't know if this is pre or post COVID, you spoke to them on the phone, this woman every week, 
Yeah. And that leads me to wonder, are executive coaching sessions typically occurring on video through a telephone or maybe not so much now, but historically meeting with people in person. And the other part of that would be how long do these things tend to go on? Like you mentioned, you work yeah. with her for a year. If you could comment on those two things, please. Sure. So in her case, it was actually through Zoom. Um, so we were doing face-to-face -face video conference. I think Zoom is probably the most common platform, but of course there are others. In terms of the data that I have seen, it suggests that now video conferencing for one-on-one -on -one coaching is most common. Between video conferencing and phone, it's probably around maybe 70% of all the, the engagements and interactions. That's a very distinct trend. You know, initially it was much more face-to-face, in-person, and telephone, secondarily. And, you know, with technology advances and with, you know, what's happening in society and also just the convenience of it, now the biggest proportion is definitely the video conferencing followed by phone and maybe a third of the coaching is done face-to-face. -face. The second question, how long the typical engagement is? I'll tell you about my personal experience and then try to answer that more broadly. Sure. I generally suggest to clients, let's start with three months and then we'll take it from there. Three months is a nice amount of time to be able to affect some real change, some real transformational change. And it's also a good amount of time to say, okay, is this something that's really for me? Is the fit the right fit for me or not? That said, I think all or nearly all of my clients have opted to continue after three months. And that's consistent with what you see more broadly, that typically a corporation will hire a coach for a six-month engagement, an eight-month engagement. I've heard stories from other coaches about clients that they've worked with for years I personally have a coach because I really believe in coaching and I find it's very helpful for me. I hired her initially for four months. We're coming up on a year and a half or two years now. So it kind of depends, but I find that I always get value out of our coaching sessions. And I've also heard different patterns. You know, some coaches have had clients that they'll work with for a period of time. And then the, the client will say, I'm good right now. Let's pause. And then they might come back a year later, two years later, three years later when the need arises. So, you know, you get a whole bunch of different models, but I would say in general, kind of a minimum of three months, six months is pretty standard. A year is quite common as well. Okay. That's very helpful. Thanks for clarifying. Sure. This concludes part one of our two-part series on career coaching and within that realm, executive coaching. Please join us next time when our guest expert, Allison Joslin, will discuss such things as what the future may have in store for the career coaching industry, how to determine whether you need a career coach, whether you are an executive or not, tips on choosing a coach, and what opportunities the world of career and executive coaching might offer. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. 
I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.